You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I'm glad to be back in, in the house of the Lord today. I want to preach to you uh, from Exodus chapter 8. We're continuing our deliverance series this morning. And in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 1, just one verse. It reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Let my people go, that they may serve me. This week we're looking at deliverance comes with purpose. Deliverance comes with with purpose. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose, amen, for your life. Let's lay our Bibles down and let's ask the Lord to have his way in these next few moments here together. God, I thank you this morning for your spirit, Lord. I thank you today, God, for the honor of your presence. I thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. And I ask in these next few moments, let the power of the Holy Ghost have liberty in our life that you would heal, that you would, God, encourage, that you would edify, that you would strengthen those that came hungry this morning. In Jesus' name, we come to give you praise and honor, and we magnify and we glorify you now in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you let the Lord know you love him one more time? Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today in the fear of the Lord. We're preaching about deliverance. We're in a four-week series, and this is week two. Last week, we started the series, and we began with deliverance comes by authority. God tells Moses to tell Aaron to command Pharaoh to let his people go. We looked at three points. The word of the Lord is the ultimate authority. We looked at deliverance will not happen without our submission to God's authority. And then finally, that it is by God's authority and our obedience that we go from bondage to blessing. That's what we're talking about this week, deliverance from bondage to blessing. And here as we read on in the narrative, the account, we come to chapter number 8. And it begins simply by the Lord telling them to go back to Pharaoh and again command, let my people go, that they may serve me. I'm here today to remind you. I'm here today to inform you that God has a purpose for you that God has a purpose for your life. You are not just a stranger, a guest, a member that is sitting on a pew that God is not paying attention to today, but God has a purpose for your life. 
God sees right where we are. He knows right where we are at at this point and time. And yes, we have a collective and corporate purpose. I understand that. But God has specific purpose for you and for your life. This was tied to the message, let my people go. He said, go in there and tell him, let my people go that they may serve me. Your salvation, your deliverance is directly tied to the purpose that God has in your life. And if the enemy can blind you from your purpose, if the enemy can distort the truth that God has a purpose, then he can get you to fall prey to the lie that God's not paying attention to you, that God has forgotten about you. But if God has given me purpose, and if he is seeing to it that that purpose is accomplished, it is impossible for him to forget where I'm at. It is impossible possible for him not to take note of everything that I am going through right now. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord this morning and give God praise. Amen. God does not save us just to leave us. Come on, you say, well, I've had testimonies in the yesterday, and I've had seasons of my life where God has shown up. I'm here to tell you, God did not do what he did in your past just to leave you now. God did not heal you. God did not deliver you. God did not set you free to bring you to this point, to let you stand on your own. No, God knows right where you're at. And God has purpose, amen, for your life. He does not take us out of bondage only to let us wander aimlessly through this life. But God brought us out so he could take us to something. God takes us out so he can bring us in to something, amen. Hallelujah. He's not just leaving you, amen, alone. But if God has done anything for your life, there's a promise Paul said, he that has begun a good work in you shall perform it. If you've ever felt the presence of God, if you've ever felt the touch of his grace, if you've ever encountered his mercy, he did that so that he could bring you through all the way. Oh, somebody give God thanks this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He doesn't just take away your sins and your reproach and then just leave you to your own devices. That's how sort of a lot of the deist thought. That, that, that's how some uh, agnostics approach the universe. That because of a life, they've come to this point that, well, well, they'll say, well, there is a God. Even the intelligent design community will acknowledge there, there must be a God that's done all these things, but whether or not God has any dealings with us, we don't know. I'm here to tell you that if there is a God, amen, and we know there is a God, it's the only explanation, then he did not just create this world and then leave it and walk 
away. He did not just call the universe into existence and then walk away. But no, I'm here today to tell you that God has purpose, not just for the universe collectively, but for you individually today. Here it is on March the 1st, 2020. God knows where you are. And God has purpose for your life. You say, well, there's so many people that have lived in this world. There's so many people that have, have, have lived in the history of, of the earth. You mean God cares about me? He cares about the decisions that I make? Yes, He cares about you. Sometimes in life we go through things and you feel, you feel the, the weight of life and an and emotion of feeling forsaken is a reality. The emotion of feeling alone is a reality. Even David, the man after God's own heart, would go through trials so great that he would write in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was a messianic psalm that, that Christ would quote when he was on that cross. And, and Christ himself, the humanity, the incarnation, would feel the weight and, and the same burden and the same forsakenness and betrayal trail and loneliness that, that any human could ever feel. And in that moment, Christ cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Feeling the weight and the same emotion of what it must be like to be so numb and to be at that point where you're so despondent and you're in such despair and you don't know where God is. You feel so small and you feel so insignificant. And then you go to Psalm 147, and there's a powerful truth. We spent the last few days in the wilderness, and for me, there's nothing that recharges my mind like just getting out in the wilderness, going for a hike. I love it. And so we were out in north, northwest Arizona in the Sedona area, and we've been there on a few times. We've been privileged to be there several times, and so this time we went and we wanted to do all new hikes and we wanted to do uh, all new experiences. There's like 220 some hike, hiking trails and a lot of them are little feeder trails, but like the main ones, there's probably about 30 of the main ones and we've done most of them, if not at least about half of those. And so I've only probably got about, maybe about three or four days worth of, of, of new stuff left that I want to do before you want to start redoing the other ones. Just absolutely incredible and gorgeous. And you can be in town, and, and in just a few minutes, you can drive out, and you can just hike up into a canyon. And there are some trails that are just loaded with people, but uh, uh, if you'll just spend a little bit of time, it's pretty quick, and you can get out all by yourself. We spent hours every day by ourselves alone, not seeing another soul in sight and you get back up in those canyons wow climbing up into those caves and the arches and just was absolutely beautiful and one of the things that we wanted to do this time that we had never done in Sedona before was to go out at night and uh, uh, stargaze so I, I don't have a telescope but I have a really really nice set of binoculars and all you need is a dark site and a really good set of binoculars and you can see some amazing stuff. And so we did. We drove probably, I don't know, um, <clears throat> maybe 20 minutes, not too far from our hotel, but we got out past the beaten path, sort of off the, the paved road, and got out, went down past Boynton Canyon and Fay Canyon, and, and come to Bear Mountain and Doe Mesa, and go past that a little ways, and came out and drove out to this overlook. And, 
And there we were looking, and it was beautiful. The first place we stopped, we actually moved three places that night, staying up late. The, we had to wait till the moon set so we could go, even though it was just a sliver uh, of silver. It's still enough light to sort of distort it. And so we, we, we moved three times. Because the first place we went, we, uh, we took some pillows from the hotel, and, and uh, we had a truck, and we were going to throw them in the, in the bed of the truck and just lay out there and stargaze. So we... We got out there, and if you've ever been to a dark site in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness, and you turn off all the lights, um, it's a little unnerving. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you've been out there. In those. And uh, so we, we climbed in the back of the truck, and, and I had my red light because you're, you're, it doesn't shock your eyes, so I had my red light. And, was getting everything situated, and I, I, I mean, we, we, we go stargazing style. We had our beef jerky, we had our M&Ms, we had our pistachios, we had, you know, I mean, we had all of our stuff, and laying them out in the, in the bed of this truck, and we both get back in the bed of the truck, and all of a sudden, not too far away, we hear a coyote. And I thought, well, hey, I'm a man, I can handle this. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't there. He was over there. And when you don't have a campfire to sort of light everything, and you're trying to keep all the lights off, I mean, I was just like, oh, I don't know about this. And so we eventually ended up sitting, rolling the window down, uh, and sitting in the doors <laughs> of our car, of our truck there with our hands on the top. But, but when we finally got the binoculars and we, I wish I, I, I didn't have the right equipment. I was trying to download the apps, didn't have signal and trying to be able to take night photography. I don't have the setup, totally unprepared, but wow, you could see the Milky Way and the stars. I mean, at that point, when you go to a dark site and you get back around those mountains, wow, the, the stars are just, I, I mean, it's, it's incredible how many you see. And then just with my binoculars, you put up there, when you, when you look up, wow, you, you'll see a cloudy spot. It's totally clear night. You see a cloudy spot, and then when you put the binoculars up to it, and you go, and you realize it's, it's not a, a little milky stream, but it is just thousands and thousands of individual stars that are up there. I, I, my binoculars are strong enough that, if you, if you know... Uh, uh, any constellations, you know, Orion, you can see Orion, and he, he, he's this sort of giant constellation, and you can see his belt, and then from his belt, uh, there's three stars really pronounced. You can usually, you can see them here pretty well. Uh, uh, you can see the little sword, and at the top of the sword, there is Orion's nebulous, and you can't see it. With the naked eye, we couldn't see it, but when we lifted up our binoculars and you put in there at the top of the sword, there is the nebulous, and, and when it's milky to the naked eye and you put the binoculars up there, you see thousands of defined stars through the binoculars. What I couldn't see when I looked up there is this very milky, cloudy, cloudy substance up there. There's Orion's nebulous and the hundreds of thousands of stars that are just in that one the Herculean cluster we saw a few years ago, and you've heard me talk about it. You can't even see it. I, I've looked at it through one of the most powerful telescopes in New England, and when you finally do see that cluster, it's just 
a cluster. You can see that tight cluster, but you can see all the definitions. And it's got, I don't even know how many millions of stars in one cluster. We cannot even begin to classify or to count all of the stars that are up there in heaven. As we try, it just keeps going. And to us, we look in the stars, we don't even see, and we don't even know Orion's nebulous is there until you look at that, and then all I can see is a milky substance. We get a powerful telescope, and we still would not be able to define every single one and count every single one. And to us, it looks like it's just stars lost in the cosmos, and that's how sometimes you can feel in life and humanity and, 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 and people. There's so many souls. There, what would God deal with me? Why would, why would God pay attention to me? But, but the psalmist said that God telleth the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. Those stars that are up there in heaven, they may be lost to you and to me, but to God, every single one of them, he put them there by design for a purpose. They are not an accident and they just shine a reflective bright light burning to the glory of God. If God does that with the stars, I'm here to tell you, he didn't die on a cross for the stars. He didn't die on a cross for the universe, but God saw you. He looked down and he saw you at this point. God has a purpose for your life. At your lowest point, amen, the psalmist says that I have graven your names upon the palms of my hands. I'm here to tell you, amen, God has a purpose for your life. God sees you. God knows. God cares. And your purpose, this purpose, is about service. And it's about worship. Exodus 8 and 1 in the New Living Translation says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so they can worship me. The King James Version says, Serve me. I'm here to tell you that worship is sacrifice. Or service. Let us not forget that worship is sacrifice or service. The first time the word was used, Abraham would go up the mountain and he was going to sacrifice everything God had given him in his promised child. And he tells Isaac, he said, we will go worship. Worship, amen, puts the object of adoration into the place of lordship and authority of our life. Praise is when we adore. Oh, we can look at the wonder of God and praise him. We can look at the incredible things that God does and praise him, but we are called to worship. Our purpose is not praise. Our purpose is worship. Hear me today. You can die on a pew praising God, but it's when you worship God that he becomes Lord in your life. I can praise him week in and week out, but I'm not worshiping him. I can be ooed and awed and amazed, but I'm not worshiping him. But God says, I'm delivering you. I'm saving you so that you can worship me. Your purpose 
is about worship. Your purpose is about salvation. Uh, it's about service. Your salvation is about service just as your bondage is about service. And your bondage is about worship. God says, let them go that they can worship me. But the enemy says, let them stay so they can worship me. Amen. We've got to understand that God's purpose is greater than the enemy's purpose for our life. God's purpose is greater than the purpose, amen, of the enemy in my soul. It is not God's purpose that you live in doubt and despair, in addiction, in depression. It is not God's purpose, amen, that you live despondent, amen. Hear me, somebody. And when God says, let my people go, that they can worship me, that addiction says, no, they're serving me. That flesh says, no, they're serving me. Hear me today, your purpose is tied to your worship. I must worship God. The enemy says, let them stay so they can serve me. And God says, no, let them go so they can worship me. See, we got to realize that this life isn't about us. The best life, you want the best life, it's not going to be about you. You live for yourself and you're going to be bound. You're going to be slave to yourself. You're serving yourself. You're making yourself Lord. We don't, we don't always let the devil, we don't always let Pharaoh be our Lord. Sometimes our biggest problem is just us. We're Lord over our life. You can't be Lord over your life and worship God at the same time. You can be Lord over your life and praise God. You can't be Lord over your life and worship God. You can have adoration for God. You can love God. You can enjoy the, 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 the handouts. You can enjoy the feeling of that. But if you're going to worship God, self has to be dethroned. And you have to say, okay, God, you are Lord over my life. And salvation only takes place. Deliverance only takes place. Going from bondage to blessing only happens when we worship God. That's why when we come into the house of the Lord, we do, we do praise and honor him and we magnify him. When we worship him here, we, we call this worship. We come and we sing and we lift our hands and we praise and we clap and, and sometimes we get excited and we dance and we shout and we praise God. We call that worship. It is praise, but it, it can also be worship in your heart. You come in and you say, well, I, I'd never do anything like that. I, I don't want to, I'm worried about what people think and I'm worried about what's happening. I'm going to tell you when you're worshiping God, he's the Lord and you don't worry about. David said, I could be the king, but I'm not too big that I can't worship God. And he laid aside his kingly garment and said, hey, I'm going to worship God and he would build an altar and he would worship every few steps as he would come back into Jerusalem and magnify the name of the Lord because nothing else matters but him being Lord over my life. Let me hasten on and let you know that we do not get to choose the path of our purpose. Hear me today. We do not get to choose the path of our purpose. I want to worship you, God, but I don't want to worship you that way. Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me. Hear me today because I think sometimes we can get hung up on this. God chooses how and where we will worship him in our life. There's a famous sermon that I'll never ever be able to forget. Preached by Morris Golder. And he preached on the interval in between. 
You can Google it. You can probably find it online. I don't know. It's out there somewhere. The interval in between. And he preached that you can't control when you're born and you can't control when you die. But you can only have handle on what happens in between. You don't get to choose the time in which you were born in. People say, well, and, and here's the height of arrogance. People say, well, I wish I wasn't born in the era that I was born in. I wish I was born in another time. I wish I was born in the future. I wish I was born this. We're so absurd now today. We are so rejecting God's purpose. Hear me today. This, this is so critical. Our culture is in defiance to this truth. And this truth is, number one, God has called you for a purpose. He wants to deliver you for a purpose. But we don't get to choose the purpose that God puts us in. We don't get to choose the path of that purpose. We didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose what color our skin was. We didn't choose how wealthy our family was. We didn't choose all of those circumstances. You did not choose the home environment that you were born into, but there you are. But no matter where you were born, God had a purpose. He had a purpose to redeem you and to save you and to cleanse you and to heal you and to make you a testimony and to love you and to bless you in every situation. You can't look at somebody else and say, I want to be where they're at. No, because that wasn't God's purpose for your life. He put you where you're at. And we can come along and we can get upset with God and say, God, it's not fair. I should be here and, and there over there. And, and God's saying, you're missing the point. I put you here because I'm going to do something in your life that I'm not going to do in their life. I put you here because I've got a purpose for you. The height of arrogance today, not only does our world and our culture say, no, God, I'm going to do this on my own terms, but now we have, we have our culture now is rejecting the very creative way and order that God put us in. We did not choose when we were born. We did not choose who, whom we were born, how tall we would be, what color our eyes were, and we did not choose whether we were male or female. God created us for a purpose. Hear me today. Rebellion is as the sin of which when we rebel and say, God, you did it wrong. God, I don't like that. You will never break out of the bondage that is holding on to you because your salvation and your deliverance is tied to purpose and he's the one that dictates what the purpose is in your life. I'm trying to help somebody today. I'm trying to help somebody. Stop looking around and wishing for other things and say, yes, Lord. God, I don't know how. I don't know when. But God, you're going to work your purpose in my life. Hear me today. Hear me today. God chooses the wilderness that he will do miracles in your life in. You don't choose the wilderness. You don't choose the journey. You don't choose the path. They were excited about leaving Egypt until they get out there and all of a sudden they don't know where their next meal is coming from. God says, I've got a purpose for you. And the purpose is you're not going to know where your next meal is coming from. You're not going to know where your next clothes are coming from. But God said, my purpose is I'm going to rain down meals every single day on you. My purpose is I'm going to make those shoes everlasting shoes. They're not going to wear out. My purpose is I'm going to do things in your life that's going to cause everybody else in the world to step back and say, what in the world is going on? Uh, my purpose, God says, is to put you in a place where you can't take credit for the blessings and the glory that's happening in your life. That's my purpose for your life. 
hear me today. Let somebody be encouraged when sickness rolls up, when despair rolls up, when needs roll up. Don't lose faith on God. You get a hold of purpose. You get a hold of purpose and you get a hold of promise. Hey, hey, come on. He's going to be with me. He's going to provide. He's going to protect me. Come on, God's, God, God wants us to worry about the worship and let him worry about everything else. Stop worrying about all your stuff and you just worry about the worship. You just worry about him being Lord over your life. Don't worry about everything else. He said, I'll take care of it. Jesus comes and he reminds us and he tells us of all of these things. Don't fret. Don't worry. He says in Matthew, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Can I tell you, I've got a promise that I can go to the bank with that God will take care of my needs and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. I can come in on Sunday, maybe not knowing what tomorrow is, where the next meal is coming, but I can worship him because that's his job. That's his responsibility. And I'm just going to praise him and worship him and let him be the Lord of my life. Hallelujah. God's purpose for them was to take them to a promised land, to give them houses they didn't build, and vineyards and gardens they didn't plant, and to give them clothes they didn't buy, and put them in a position where they can't take credit for their successes. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. We can never get to the place, church, where we've been coming to church so long that we start thinking that we're something, that we're somebody, that we've done something. Somewhere in your past, in your life, or it maybe if you were blessed to be raised in a home that brought you to church, it was in your parents' life or your grandparents' life. Somewhere down the line, somewhere someone walked in a, a, a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner that came into a place. They were out of place, but God got a hold of their life. As we sang this morning, the blood reaches to the lowest valley. It reaches to the highest mountain. It saves to the uttermost. That's why when we come into the house of the Lord, not everybody in the church is going to look like us, talk like us, act the same, but God has pulled us out of different places. He has birthed us together. Come on, we're not all the same, but God has brought us together and we've all been baptized into one body. Praise God by His glory. Amen. Everywhere else in the world, Hear me, everywhere else in the world, in culture, in nature, you go to a place, amen, and a lot of times people look the same, act the same, but when we come to the house of God, the house of God ought to represent every demographic, every social ladder of the community, every different place, because the blood of Jesus Christ is purposing them all and bringing us together for His glory. Come on, I can't take credit for it. Come on, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Come on, I didn't do it, but he did it by his purpose. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When you are living in God's promises, you can't take the credit, but all the glory belongs to him. He purposed it that way. He purposed it that way. All the glory belongs to him. I'm coming to a close. As they come to the music, God's purpose 
Final point, God's purpose will see you through to the end. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He was the man whose lot it fell to be the one to preach to the people of God that when Babylon came and conquered Israel, Babylon, the Babylonians came and they, they throw siege to Judah. God literally tells Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to let Babylon come and conquer you. And he's going to take the people of God away. And for 70 years, they're going to be in captivity. And then he tells Jeremiah this. Now get this picture. God comes to Jeremiah and he says, all of the good people in the land, I'm going to take them and I'm going to carry them away to Babylon captive. This is what God says. God says, the good people in the land, I'm taking captive. So all the people that were not good, didn't have the education, didn't have anything that they could benefit the Babylonians, they left in the land. So when Nebuchadnezzar comes, he comes and he, he, he gets Daniel, he gets the three Hebrew boys, he gets others. He's looking for people that are skilled, people that he can use. And he leaves all the people that they can't use. So get this, every Babel, Babylon represented the most uh, accomplished society, one of the most accomplished societies in the world. And from the world's eye and from the carnal eye, when they saw, okay, we can use this person, this couple, this family, and they come out, you know what they've got, we can't use them, they're no good. God said, I'm leaving all the no good people in the land. And then God tells Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, I can see Jeremiah as he's getting this, okay, Lord, you're taking all the good people out. All right, I'm ready to go with the good people then. And God says, oh no, Jeremiah. They're going to go for 70 years and then I'm going to bring them back. But you don't get to go. You get to stay and preach to all the no good people. This is what, you read this. This is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it down. This is what God tells Jeremiah. I can see Jeremiah saying, uh, God, you know, I'm all about being this prophet stuff, but I, I really would rather go with those folks. God says, no, I want you to stay with these people because these people I can't even get through to. So Jeremiah does, and all of a sudden God's word comes to Jeremiah, not to the good people that have the promise that they're going to be blessed in Babylon and come back, but to all the no good people. God tells Jeremiah to preach to them. Is there not a balm in Gilead? God tells Jeremiah this, and we come to Jeremiah 29 and 11, and look at what he says. He says, this is God saying, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now imagine being a part of the no good people. You've forsaken God, and now God's estranged from you, and you're so low in life that you're so washed up, the world doesn't even want you. This is the context to where this verse comes in play. And it was to those that God said, my thoughts towards you are of peace and not of evil, 
You may think you're all washed up. You may think you're all forgotten about. Nobody wants you. But God says, I want to bring you and expect it in. Look at what it says in the NLT. He said, for I know the purposes which I am planning for you, says Jehovah, purposes of peace and not for evil to give you posterity, future, and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. God's purpose will see you through to the end. That's why I quoted earlier from Philippians 1 and 6 where Paul says being confident of this very thing. Paul did not waver. He said being confident that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Last fall, we were in Indianapolis for the General Convention Conference of the United Pentecostal Church, September. We were walking through the halls one evening going to church. And I ran across a couple that I had met probably 15 years maybe before. Little country church, southern Indiana, out in the middle of the woods, literally in the middle of a graveyard, was this church. Just a small church. We went in there. We preached there several times. Incredible story. Pastor's testimony. And there was a couple in there. And this couple I had met for the very first time. And they had given me their testimony. Aaron Strunk. I can't remember Sister Strunk's name. And she told us. I'll never forget her telling us the testimony. Aaron had been brought, both of them had been brought to church by their grandmother's little kids, and then they had sort of strayed and fallen out, drugs, the whole scene. She came back, and Aaron came back, and they came, they were a young, young married couple, and got the Holy Ghost, didn't last maybe a few weeks, and walked away from God. Come in, Aaron was a heavy, heavy drug user. Uh, tried to commit suicide and it didn't work. He went to his living room. She woke up one night and she heard him coughing and gagging. And she was in the bed and she thought, this is insane, this is crazy. And she'd go in and she'd find him trying to take his life. She came back to church and stuck and he wasn't living for God. She came to, she said, she said, I came to the altar one night and I said, God, I'm talking about purpose here. She said, God, I don't know if he's going to live for you, but for me, you've got to give me peace. Sister Tammy, God gave her peace that night. She said, God gave me peace in the Holy Ghost. She said, I don't know how to explain it. She said, but God gave me peace. It was later on that week or in the weeks ahead where she was laying in bed. She said, I woke up about 2 a.m. and I heard him in the living room coughing and gagging. And I just knew he's, he's doing his thing again, doing his thing again. She said, but God had given me peace. So she said, I prayed, in Jesus' name, went back to sleep. She woke up, and this is shocking. I know our children aren't in here today, but she woke up, and when she walked in there in that living room there, he had taken a workout rope and their ceiling fan. She saw him. She, she screamed. She called 911. She doesn't know how long he was there. There's no clue how long he was there. They came, and they got him, and they... They revived him on the way to the hospital. It was a miracle of miracles. 
And so the next time he did it, he said, I intentionally waited to where she was not home. He said, I waited until she went to work. And he told me, he said, Brother Romine, he said, I took the same rope. I took the same chair. I tied the same knot. And he said, off the same ceiling fan. And he said, when I kicked that chair out, he said, the rope slipped through. The knot came free. He said, I know I didn't make mistakes. He said, I know I did not, I did not make a mistake. He said, I knew what I was doing. He said, but when I did that, he said, he said, that slipped through. And he said, I was so shaken. He said, because I knew God had to have done something. And it was about that time that Brother Barker, who, who was his pastor, just happened to be driving through the area and felt impressed of the Lord. He said, there I was laying in the middle of my living room floor. And he said, I had just done this. I had just fallen down, and I was in my self-pity and my misery. And he said, all of a sudden, I got a knock on the door. And he said, I went and I opened the door, and there it was Pastor Barker. And he said, when I opened the door, he said, the pastor looked at me and said, Aaron, I don't know why, because he knew what the life he was living. He said, but God sent me over here today to tell you that God has a purpose for your life. Aaron and his wife our pastors today, we saw them in the hallway. We got to catch up with them and see what God's doing in their life. He's a soul winner. He, he, he's an incredible laborer in the kingdom of God. And you, you're, saying, you're saying this, that you can be so washed up that the world forgets about you, but God never forgets about you. He knows right where you're at. And you could say, God, I've got to take my life. And God says, no, that's not my purpose. My purpose is to deliver you so that you can worship me, so that you can serve me. And now Aaron's living in his purpose and God's blessing his life more than any other way that he could dream. Can I tell somebody today, you got to get a hold of your purpose. you got to get a hold of your purpose. Come on, embrace where you're at. Maybe you're walking down a path that you didn't choose, but embrace it because God will not leave you alone. David gets to the end of his life and he says, I have been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I may have felt like it, but God never left me. He was always there. He was bringing me to the point that he had. Stand together with me today. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Until the day of Jesus Christ, I'm here to preach to somebody that God hasn't given up his dreams on you, that God hasn't quit his promises on you, that God hasn't stopped his purpose for you. It's just as big. His mercy's just as big. His grace is just as big. His love is just as grace as it as great as it was the day you first felt him. Would you bow your heads with me in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name? God, I pray right now, God, against every lie from hell. I pray right now, God, against every rebellious spirit, every attitude that would raise up within us, God, that says we want to do it on our terms. God, let there be a surrender. Let there be a worship in our heart that says, God, I'll serve you where you place me. God, I'll trust you, and I'll let you get the glory, and I'll let you get the credit.